0: From the studios of One Jacks Productions, this is The Revealing, a ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, with your hosts, Senior Pastor Frank Silvaggio, Associate Pastor Robert Engel, and Praise Leader Chris Wing. So today we are talking about covenants in the Bible. What is a covenant? How many covenants are there? What do they mean? It's so many questions that that, uh, I think many believers have today when it comes to uh, covenants, and um, I I do hope that we uh, begin to answer some of those in this episode. I I think as as we um, start to unpack this, as we often do, guys, we are going to find that it's going to take us a few episodes um, to kind of dig into this thing, uh, because very much like the last several episodes and many of our series here, they have some very strong, pertinent practical applications for us. And so we do hope as, as you are listening with us today, first of all, welcome back. And um, if you are brand new, just checking us out, or a veteran, uh, we are grateful to have your listening ear. Um, do make sure you have a Bible nearby, um, a pen and paper or something. Uh, you do have the luxury of pausing this and replaying, uh, so do take advantage of that feature as well. Uh, but uh, Pastor Frank and Chris, welcome back, gentlemen. How are we doing today?
1: Doing well, brother. How are you? Another blessed day.
0: Better than I deserve. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh, so, man, uh, covenants. Um, so I know we can start talking about specific covenants, and, and I know we will, but I thought maybe we could just kind of open up with a discussion and clarify um, the definition of a covenant. Uh, what is it, uh, biblically speaking? Um, what Are, are there common threads through the different covenants? Are they all separate? Um, when, why, how, all of those types of things, does God make a covenant with man? Um, so, so, let's just kind of open this and start talking about, generally speaking, um, what is a covenant um, as, as far as the Bible is concerned, as far as God is concerned?
1: Well, when I think about covenants in the Bible, I mean, if you just want to be kind of general about the definition, I would say that a covenant is a relationship that is entered into by between two parties to fulfill some kind of a promise, something that's uh, going to happen as a result of it. Okay. And so the two words that I think about when I think about a covenant, specifically when you're talking about it biblically, is a relationship and a promise. And in the Bible, there's two types of covenants. Um, there's a conditional covenants and there's unconditional covenants. And a conditional covenant is when God makes a covenant with man and it's, it's reliant on man doing something. It's an if-then kind of a thing. So he says, if you do this, then I will do that. And an unconditional covenant is one that God makes where he says, I will do something. So when he says, I will bless you or I will do this and that's going to happen, it's, it's a decreed will of God. So when I think about the covenants, biblically speaking, there's those two covenants, those two types of covenants that I see in the scriptures. And it always has to do with there being a relationship and some kind of a promise, something that's going to happen. And I think that's important because you said
0: relationship uh, and that covenant relationship, that's kind of that, a formal relationship, like an established, you use the word promise. So it's not just a relationship that two people have or I have a relationship with the Lord uh, as much as it is a a set, um, defined, conditional or unconditional uh, promise type of relationship um, where God is um, seeking to – and this is where our conversation on dispensations will will come into play – where God is uh, dispensing his grace, where God is – promising something or whatever God is, is um, using his relationship with man to, to accomplish something. Would that be fair to say? Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Frank.
2: Yeah. Well, so there's a couple of things that um, I think we need to make sure we put on the table when it comes to understanding uh, this thing as covenants and, and you just dropped that word dispensation. So real quick, I just, if anybody's listening right now um, you know, uh, I know there's a major debate uh, running in 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 circles today uh, about dispensations and are there dispensations in the Bible and things of that matter, um, you know I would just uh, uh, before you tune out uh, and and not listen to these next upcoming uh, uh, episodes we do on covenants and dispensations because we'll be talking about dispensations as well. Um, before you tune out, I would just say, hey, listen, man. Uh, you know, Paul clearly says that unto him was uh, given to him the dispensation of grace. So he right. uses the word in the Bible. Uh, so therefore, um, we 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 have to at least give credence to uh, the fact that he is talking about the fact that he was in a dispensation called the dispensation of grace. Mm-hmm. So, so regardless, uh, and, and then he says in the dispensation of the fullness of time. So right. he clearly, uh, gives us a, 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 uh, directive that, uh, that word dispensation does have a biblical credence. Yeah. Now, what is it? We'll, we'll have to unpack that as we go. Um, uh, but going back to covenants, here's the thing I think, uh, that I think is important about covenants. Um, you know, uh, and, and here's a shameless plug, right? Uh, so I, uh, uh, the Lord gave me the opportunity and uh, the ability to write a book uh, on the book of Revelation uh, called The Revealing, um, which uh, you could go to our website, www.onebaptistjax.world uh, and pick one up um, if you if you uh, would like. Um, but, uh, and, and by the way, in that book, um, you're going to see that I do spend a little time uh, speaking on this subject matter of covenants and dispensations. And the reason why is because covenants in scripture uh, is, is a primary importance, if you will, to the uh, uh, interpreter of the word and the study of eschatology and eschatology means the study of last things, obviously the book of Revelation being, uh, you know, how God uh, wraps up everything, if you will. Um, So when you look at covenants and dispensations, uh, God's eschatological program, uh, and I know I'm using a big word there, but again, eschatology means study of last things. So there you go. Okay. Is determined and prescribed by these covenants. And so therefore it makes them, um, of utmost importance uh, to being able to do a few things. Um, I remember, uh, right? If you were if you were listening to us way back in the beginning, there we spent some time talking about the ten keys of Bible study. Um, and, and certainly uh, one of those keys is uh, uh, we, we focused in on an interpretation and that how God interprets his own book and that we shouldn't interpret for him. Take things in context, things like that. Rightly dividing it, knowing who something was written to. Mm-hmm. That plays a utmost importance in understanding dispensations uh, and covenants it's very important to understand who a covenant was made with. It's very important to understand what the guidelines of that covenant was. It was very important to understand if it was an unconditional covenant or if it was conditional, Mm -hmm. uh, because unconditional would mean that God's still going to perform it even today, mm-hmm. okay, but a conditional one means that there could have been failures to that covenant on the, uh, uh, the other person's part, failure obviously right. never on God's part, yep. but on the other person's part where that, that covenant uh, was, uh, uh, you know, um, um, squashed or, or whatever, uh, that ultimately led to the next covenant, if you
0: will. And I think that's important because it, when you look in Scripture, the covenants have some similar components, right? Sure. They're, 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 like Chris, like you said, there's parties involved, often God and man or God and a nation or, you know, what have you. Um, there's a token of, of a covenant. Um, there There's, um, it, depending on if it's conditional or unconditional, like there are guidelines for it. So you tend to see some similarities as far as the components of a covenant that God would make with man.
2: Yeah. And and Chris, uh, you know, um, you hit something there when you said, you know, there. It, it, a covenant, uh, you know. Obviously, we're talking the Bible, so that's where we're going to direct our attention to when we talk about covenants. But, but right, a covenant is a uh, a mutual agreement made between two parties, mm-hmm. right? Chris, you nailed that. You said it, and and that that happens in the real world. And that happens in the Bible.
1: Today we might call it like a contract between two people. You you sign something and you're going to deliver a particular service for payment of some kind. Right. A promise was made to deliver
2: something. A promise was made to make payment. Right. Of course. Then in the Bible, when we're talking about these uh, conditional and unconditional covenants, what I would like to add to that is that that's no longer a covenant anymore. And what I mean by that is it's not just a covenant between a man and a man. It becomes a divine covenant. Um, and, and that's a covenant now between God and man.
0: Because you see both those in Scripture. Because you see
2: both of those in Scripture. So you got to make sure, again, putting Scripture in context, you got to make sure you understand and, and you're reading everything in context to know who's making this covenant right now. Is it man with man or is it God with man? Sure. And is it conditional or is it unconditional? Mm-hmm. Really, if you can, if you can make it that simple, it becomes that simple. Yeah. Okay, so uh, this can be sound confusing, but we don't want it to be confusing. We want to try to make this as simple as possible, and, and really it boils down to just simply that. And it doesn't take much to see. I mean, I, I, I don't think uh, it would take very much for us to be reading something and see, you know, uh, when Abraham made uh, uh, a covenant with Abimelech at the well, uh, you know, th- that was a covenant between man and man. Yeah, obviously, there's no r- repercussions. Uh, throughout mankind, that particular covenant was put there for us to learn from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but then I, there are other places in the Bible where, where God makes covenant with right. man. Now, obviously, those are ones that we really want to tune our attention to because they do apply to us in one way, shape, or form. Uh, and then uh, adding to that, um, not only do they apply to us, but we need to understand whether those covenants were conditional. Uh, and, and if they were conditional, we want to know where the failures were so we don't make the same failures, right? Yeah. And then if they're unconditional, um, th- just because something's unconditional doesn't mean there still might not have been failures tagged along to it. Sure. And so we want
0: to learn from those things. And then talking specifically about those covenants that God makes with man, you have conditional, unconditional, and then there are some that he calls everlasting covenants, right? And, and, um, there's something for us to learn there. So um, conditional, unconditional, everlasting. Would it be fair to say that the unconditional covenants are also everlasting covenants? Or w- is there maybe a difference there that possibly we could
2: draw? I would say draw? It, yeah, that's fine if you want to use the word everlasting. Because, um, for example, with Noah. eternal.
0: Eternal, yeah. yeah. I
2: would say they're eternal, Cause uh, cause like, but eternal everlasting, I guess. Kind the same, word same, yeah. Yeah. same, yeah. Yeah. same idea. <laughs> so sure. I'm
0: just thinking about not to jump Anything here, but with uh, with Noah, he said he would make an everlasting covenant uh, with the world, mm-hmm. um, and the token was the bow in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he specifically called it everlasting, the yeah. Davidic, you know, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so God obviously using His words on purpose. So I was just curious if 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 it's ever an everlasting covenant, if that would mean that it's unconditional.
2: Well, sure, maybe
0: we could Everything. say that. I mean, well, we'll so. so
2: when it when when, yeah, when it Abraham rains it, today, do we still get rainbows in the sky? Mm-hmm. So I guess it was.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. So the Abrahamic covenant with Israel, of course. So, yeah. And and, and something else that I think is going to uh, be very interesting for us to jump into is um, covenant theology, because we're talking about covenants and covenant theology will say that. Covenant. There are covenants in the Bible too. They'll agree with that, but they're different ones. And the way that they interpret those and apply those to themselves is very different than how God has ordained that we are to. And so at some point, I think it would behoove us to talk about covenant theology and it's, is it biblical or not? And what that means and how is it the same or different or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Because that's, that's, that's something that, you know, is permeating the church a lot. I know right. uh, and, and with us, we're all part of the same local church. And, and um, you know, Pastor Frank, you've said many times that um, at least 90, 95% of churches, mm-hmm. uh, pastors, um, whatever else you want to call it, theologians, scholars, you know, whatever, are um, uh, teaching, preaching, uh, pushing some form of covenant theology. Yes. And if you're listening today, and and you're not sure what that is, or really not well versed in that, then man, stick around over these next few episodes because um, y- you may be under that teaching and not realize it. And, and I'll just tell you right now, that's a false
1: teaching. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know if we mm-hmm. want to talk about that for a little bit or not. Maybe, or, I, maybe briefly, we can talk about. It. We've we've mentioned it before, I think, on the podcast on several episodes. But it, it is a it is a heresy. It is a heretical, basically covenant theology is uh, uh or or what's also called replacement theology? In fact, I don't even know if I would call it theology. I like what uh, Doctor Alan Shelby has called it. It's it's an ideology, not a theology. It's <laughs> not theological at all. It's not mm-hmm. biblical at all. But basically, what's at the root of that is that you are teaching, you're taking what we're talking about here, covenants. And I like how you put it, Pastor Frank, when you said, "When there's a there's covenants between man and man, and there's covenants between God and man, and those are divine covenants." And so that's the problem with the the covenant theology or ideology, whatever you want to call it, is that they're taking these covenants that are divine, and they're misinterpreting them as you, as you said, Pastor Robert. And what they're doing is they're they're putting the church in place of something. They're they're, they're taking the people group that was that covenant was meant for, and they're replacing it with the church. Mm. So that all those promises we talked about—a covenant being something of relationship uh, for promise that that's going to be fulfilled—they're mm. taking those promises and those covenants that were meant for a particular group of people or person, and they're uh, superimposing that into the church. So in other words, that's no longer applicable for the nation of Israel. Now it's the church. And so that, that goes to the church. You're, you're, you're replacing that uh, group of people with that. And that's why it's, it's a damnable heresy. And I think, you know, like you were saying, Pastor Robert, that it's being taught in some shape or form uh, from many pulpits today. I also think that it's being taught because those who are preaching from the pulpits just don't know any better. And they don't even realize they're even teaching it. It can be very subtle. Very subtle if you don't know what you're looking for. And that's why it's so dangerous because that's how Satan works. He works through subtlety when he wants to deceive. And, and it's a very de- deceptive, and God forbid if I put my own head on the chopping block, but there is a particular religious group that is out there today, a very big one that we call Roman Catholicism that has very much teaching that kind of thing. Why do you think the Crusades happened? Because they they believe that Israel and everything that was promised to Israel belongs to the church, and that's why they want it for themselves. That's what's at the root of that. I don't know a better example, I don't think, that I can use historically speaking and even currently than the, the Roman Catholic Church. They, at the heart of what they believe, is replacement theology or covenant theology. They believe that all those covenants and promises that were given to Israel belong to the church. That's why it's so damnable. So would you say that that's a good explanation of it, or would you like to add something to that, Pastor Frank?
2: Well, yeah, I think I mean honestly, we we can make covenant theology an episode within itself. So spending a lot of time on it here probably isn't the uh, what we need to be doing. But but I will say, uh, Chris, yeah, you know when you say that ninety five percent of uh, of churches uh, are, are are adhering to uh, some form of covenant theology, the reality is is that's because uh, it does come out of Roman Catholicism, and ninety five percent of churches today, whether we want to admit it or not. Uh, are are churches that have come out of Roman Catholicism. And so, obviously, seeds kind of go with it. You know, you can call yourself a a Lutheran church. You can call yourself a Presbyterian church. You can call yourself a Church of Christ. But all those churches were denominations that came out of Roman Catholicism. And, and of course, you bring seeds with you. That's just what happens. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's 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 one of those things where you know either uh, we're going to allow denominations to be the, uh, the 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 teller of covenants and truths in the Bible, or we're going to let the Word of God be the teller of truths and and covenants in the Bible. And you know, unfortunately, there are times when uh, and listen I, before we shoot the gun on, on those denominations. I see it happening in Baptist churches as well. So, um, I see covenant theology being taught in Baptist churches. And I think you know, it is a serious problem. It, It does cause serious, um, uh, issues within our understanding of, of theological terms. And I think that's the reason why, uh, we can't call it a theology. We have to call it an ideology because, it's not theology. Uh, you, you, when you start and see what happens is and how people get to that place is a presuppositions. And that's 99% of, of, of false doctrine. It comes from presuppositions. You have this thing that your church believes, and so now instead of letting the Bible dictate what you believe, you have to make the Bible conform to what you believe. And once you do that, once you're opening to do that, the doorways open up. Just ask Origin; he knows all about that.
0: Yeah, and and I agree with you, Frank. This isn't the timer's place to to go into in depth into covenant theology uh, at all. Uh, we just um, want to recognize that as we're talking about covenants, this does have some real life application today because there is a covenant, or as you said, Chris, replacement theology that is being taught. And, and Frank, you alluded to this. Um, the teaching that's permeating the church, um, even it may contain some truths or a or little truth, little error or whatever. Well Paul is very clear in Galatians five nine that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And so uh we we just need to, you know, pursue doctrinal purity and, and be able to spot error. So just for our listeners so, so you're aware there there is that that out there and and do be aware of that and maybe at a later time we can talk more in detail about those things but so so I think maybe we can start going into a co- the first covenant maybe would that well, be okay I or do you, co- do you yeah, want to set co- some other yeah, things I think up
2: there's a couple more things that I'd like to Go for lay out if we don't mind um, i don't mind. Get your... I mind i mind so you so that, no. <laughs> let me ask, let me ask guys this question okay let me throw this question out there um, when it comes to covenants okay um it's 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 probably important to understand who the covenants were made with. Um, when you look at uh, and you know, I know there's different ways you can go about this, but for me, I think the best uh, uh, the best way to look at a covenant is is to uh, uh, look at those I wills and. Um, those if statements, because that clearly defines a covenant uh, that a covenant is being put in place. And if you do that, you're going to come up with seven in the Bible. There, there, are seven places in the Bible where you're going to see clear-cut covenants made in the Bible. Okay, now, you know, I know people like to add some and and things of that matter, and um, I, you know, I think there there might be place for that, but there's guaranteed seven. There's no doubt about it. Then the, then the question becomes is, okay, who did God make those covenants with? Because I do think that that's important. And uh, I, I might add, um, and this is kind of where I'm going with this, could anybody identify a covenant that God made with the church? Specifically. Because that's obviously going to be very important to our conversation when we're talking about covenants um, you know, and obviously it's going to help us understand covenant theology a little bit better because covenant theology obviously says that the church replaced Israel. Right. So they, they would say absolutely God made a covenant with the church. They're all
0: spiritually to us. right?
2: Right. So, so my question is that if we're going to allow, you know, listen, at the end of the day, we have to approach the Bible in a very specific way. You always have to take the Bible literally unless specifically told otherwise, right? Does anybody disagree with Absolutely that? Absolutely, I agree with that. Now, I don't know that a lot of people understand that, but at the, but but we're really, when it comes down to it, you know, when when, when I'm having a conversation, uh, Robert, and I say to you, "Hey, man, I like your green shirt." I mean, am I being literal or spiritual?
0: Uh, that'd be literal.
2: So how come in our own conversations with one another, we relay things literally, but for some reason we feel like when we're t- when, when we're reading something out of God's word and God's giving us something literally, we feel like it's okay to take it spiritually. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. God communicates to us just like we communicate to one another. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if God, you know, it, 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 now if I were to say, Robert, I like your green shirt, it looks like such and such. Okay. Now we're taking it and we're making a application mm-hmm. to it.
0: And what you're referring to is the allegorical method of interpretation. Absolutely. Come back to Mr. Origin
1: himself again.
2: Right. So, and when we say, you know, are we going to take the Bible literally or are we going to take it allegorically? If we're going to take it allegorically, then, you know, at the end of the day, really, folks, if you're listening, uh, please just hear what I'm saying. Just shut your Bible. <laughs> Why bother? Because it's open to interpretation. Anybody can make us say anything you want it to say. I can make you a road map from Rochester, New York to... Orlando, Florida to Disney World out of the Bible if I just take things spiritually. No, we got to be, we got to take the Bible literally unless God specifically tells us otherwise. With that being said, again, I want to ask, based on both of your understandings of the covenants we're about to go into, were any of those covenants specifically made with the church?
0: None that come to my mind. So,
2: and none come to my mind, Chris. So, so that's important. I, I think that's vitally important to our conversation. Mm. And I think if you're listening right now, whether you agree with that or not yet, uh, I, I do ask you to really consider uh, what was just said, and, uh, and 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 kind of put that in the back of your mind right now. And 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 let us uh, let us kind of go through some of these, and you're you're going to see uh, very clearly that uh, God didn't make a covenant with the church. Mm. Literally, he didn't. And that's a um, uh, of primary importance. Now, is the church living in a dispensation? Well, Paul clearly says that the dispensation of grace was committed unto him. So, whether you believe in dispensations or not, hey. Do what you got to do with that. I'm just telling you that uh, we are living in a uh, um, uh, 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 a dispensation of grace that Paul clearly lays it out. Then the next question is: Is okay? What's a testament? That's what I was was thinking.
0: thinking. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. So we so when we look at the old covenant or the old testament and the new covenant or the new testament, obviously our minds are going to go directly to well, yeah. God made a new covenant testament with the church. right? Did he?
0: Mm.
2: Is that really what he did? Um, And again, I think all these things are worthy of talking about and and working through to see how they all fit. And certainly, whether you believe in dispensations, whether you believe in covenants, all that stuff, is beside the point. There's not a person listening right now that cannot say that there's something different about the Old Testament than the New Testament. Now, however you want to interpret that, that's that's I guess for a future conversation. But there but right are now,
0: obvious differences. But there are
2: obvious differences. Many, right? yeah. So right there tells us there that, that that God does does deal with man differently. Yeah.
1: At different times. My question would be: Do you think that the word covenant and testament are are the same thing?
2: No, they're not. Okay. They're not. Now, do they have some of the same uh, parameters? Yes. But what is a testament?
0: Well, what do you mean by parameters? Like, like, like let, let's define that they have the same parameters, as in, like, again, components. Well, like the kingdom of
2: God and the kingdom of heaven, right? They have some of the same
0: components. Okay, so some similarities. There's some similarities. I see,
2: but they're not the same thing. Sure, yeah, they're, they're they're they they are different. Got it. Um, God does use the word covenant in the Bible, and God does use the word testament in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Why didn't, if they're the same thing, you know, here's my question, right? (laughs) Then why didn't God just use the same word? Well, he didn't on purpose because he's trying to make sure we understand. Yes, no questions asked. Does the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost, are they the same thing? But, But there's different, there's something different about the Holy Spirit. There's something different. God's trying to bring us, our attention span up. To realize that there's something different about this, that's why different words being used.
0: And, and if you just if you miss what what he just said or what he was alluding to, um, in in the King James Bible, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, um, the, the third, I guess we'll say the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Ghost. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, he, he is used uh, using one term that is Holy Spirit. Um, operating in specific functions and offices if you will, um, in specific circumstances uh, and that's different uh, than the term that is used in the New Testament, which is Holy Ghost uh, and though it's the same there's still three in one, the same Trinity, same Spirit of God, but different terms are used in each Testament as God is using that to teach us um, the difference in those two Testaments and what was going on and what is going on. so and,
2: and just to clarify the real quick on that yeah so and, and that is true. Uh, however, the Holy Ghost is not used in the Old Testament at all, but Correct. the Holy Spirit is used in the New Testament. Correct. So, the Holy Spirit did and I say Holy that backwards? both. Be, no, I just wanted to clarify. Oh, oh absolutely.
0: That's yeah, that's important. Yeah, that's definitely important. Yeah.
2: So, uh, but again, that's not the purpose of this no. study. So, yes, there is differences between covenants and testaments, and I think that's got to okay. be worthy of part of our discussion as okay. we move
1: forward as well. Absolutely, because Jesus made a testament for Himself, a testament for the for the church. Sure, clearly. He Hebrews. Yes. So well, Hebrews. So I'm just trying to figure out Hebrews how we liken that in the terms of a covenant. Chris,
0: Frank keeps saying Hebrews. Hebrews. Are you hearing that? Hebrews. Say it one more time, Frank. Um, Hebrews. Hebrews. Okay. Hebrews. Here's the here's the
2: thing. Okay. And if you're listening right now, here's where I'm going with this. Okay. What we need to understand about covenants, what we need to understand about testaments, is that where covenants and testaments apply to Israel physically, literally, they only apply to the church spiritually. And you need to understand that.
0: Okay, so this is the point I think where we need to separate. That's important. Yeah. But how do we not? How do we avoid covenant theology, where we just take in those what Chris, what you said, take in those promises for ourselves? Because now we're spiritual Israel. So how do we? How do our listeners differentiate that and understand that?
2: So that's important. Um, so let's let's because on Sundays uh, we've been discussing the tabernacle. Uh-huh. I think this is a great uh, example of what we're talking about. OK, so in the Old Testament, uh, God had Moses come down from the mount. And uh, when he came down from that mountain, he came down with two things. Mm-hmm. Not just one thing, two things. Okay, Most people can name the one thing he came down with, which would be the Ten Commandments. Most people don't know he came down with something else. Well, the other thing he came down with was a pattern, a blueprint, if you will, of, of the tabernacle. Now, that pattern and that blueprint of this tabernacle was to picture because God mm-hmm. teaches in pictures, similitudes. Mm-hmm. That's how He always teaches. It was to picture the heavenly temple that's in, in uh, 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 heaven, uh, the third heaven, right, uh, which you see all through the Book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, when he set, when they set up that tabernacle, were they did, were they to physically, literally take animals and? Sacrifice them on the altar.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Were they literally supposed to wash themselves with, with their hands at the laver?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Were they literally supposed to, when they walked into the tabernacle itself, were they literally supposed to light the oil of the lamp? Mm-hmm. Were they literally supposed to, you're with me, right? Okay. Yeah. So they were supposed to do all that literally. Okay. That covenant was made, if you will, or, or those, I shouldn't say covenant, those commandments were made, if you will, to Israel physically, mm-hmm. okay? Correct. Now, can we take, as a church, what was given to them literally and apply them to us spiritually? Does that make us spiritual Jews? No. That's the key. It doesn't make us spiritual Jews. Right. What it does is it, it makes us uh, understand how God operates with
0: man. Well, it's the point that Paul makes in the New Testament multiple times. These things are written for our learning, our admonition. They were our samples. And so that doesn't make us spiritual Israel. That doesn't mean we are now the recipients. But there is, as the three layers of application teach us in Scripture, there is a personal or devotional application there. Is that what we're saying?
2: Uh, and I would even go spiritual.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. the point that we're trying to yeah. make.
2: Because, yeah. because, okay, so just as they were supposed to bring those animals to that altar and sacrifice them, are we supposed to do that?
0: Not physically. Not
2: physically. We do that spiritually, spiritually. Romans 12, 1 and 2.
0: Correct. We're, we're called to be living, living sacrifices. sacrifices.
2: Do we actually go to a laver and wash our hands? No, but Paul refers in Ephesians 5 to the washing of the word. Right. right? Do we go and, and light... The, uh, the lamp, well, no, but we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit of God, the yeah. Holy Spirit, because that oil represents the Holy Spirit. So, so uh, again, all of those things have a spiritual application to us. Now, there's the difference. Yeah. That doesn't make us Israel. No. That doesn't mean we get their promises physically. No. That means that we get spiritually grafted into some of those covenants that God made with Israel. Made partakers. We made, We get, We got grafted, grafted it, in. I mean, yeah. Romans is a very key yeah. uh, uh, book to this discussion, uh, really. And we, we we probably at some point uh, will need, when, we, when we're talking about covenant theology, we're going to need to spend a little time in Romans as well. So
1: you, you added, I think we added a, a, another layer here when we're talking about covenants, we're talking about a physical manifestation or fulfillment of a covenant, but also there's a spiritual application to it as which, well. Which
0: definitely is important because when we, we realize that there's, there's a, a
1: difference between the
0: kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, where the kingdom of heaven is a physical, literal kingdom right. for Israel and for the Jew and the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom for uh,
2: the church. Which, by the way, if I can just say this... Um, is probably why we're going to have to spend a lot of time in the Abrahamic Covenant. Mm. And the reason why I say that is because what what most people don't understand is that the Abrahamic Covenant very specifically, mm-hmm. very specifically, along with the, the New Covenant, uh, the one made in Jeremiah uh, 33, all of them do, but those two very specifically uh, are very important to understand the physical nature, the literal nature of those covenants opposed to the spiritual nature of those covenants. And it's been the failure of people to being able to do that, which has led us to covenant theology. Mm-hmm.
1: Because yeah. you would say that the church has, something to do with that Abrahamic covenant from the spiritual sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. From the spiritual sense. Right. So that's why it's important to know that layer of physical versus spiritual. Um, I would also use the word similitude. We've dropped that before. When we're reading the Old Testament, it comes to similitudes. And this is also, why I think, where dispensations will play a role too, because you dropped it earlier. You were saying when it comes to these covenants, um, that there is how God's dealing with man through them. And and that's where dispensations come in because he he has a, a particular plan for all of history. The plan never changes, but the people groups and the way that he uh, accomplishes that plan does change. And so these covenants are very tied into that. And again, it it's definitely important that we understand the physical and spiritual nature uh, of those covenants so that we can put it all together correctly. Dispensations a period like a God of God dispenses His grace through. Different people groups over periods of time, and, and they they blend together those dispensations. There's not a start and a stop point. They blend together those covenants. It's important that we understand dispensations, the, that application of physical and spiritual as it pertains to covenants, because that's where you get all messed up if you if you don't if you don't know that. So yeah, and, and
2: let me real quick. Um Talking on this subject, so uh, Chris, you brought up the point of of where Roman Catholicism uh, has, has has fallen into covenant theology. Okay, let me explain From to you beginning. how this happens. <laughs> and real quick, okay, watch. So you go to the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, part of the Abrahamic covenant uh, was what? Not just that a seed was going to
1: come, but land. Yep. It was a land covenant. And that's where people will sometimes break them up into well, two. But right?
2: So, so this is what happens, right? So here's where covenant theology falls into play. You talked about the Crusades. Okay. Why did Rome, why did the popes of the Crusades go and attack uh, and try to take over Jerusalem? Why? Because they failed to understand the Abrahamic covenant that they thought that because they had replaced Israel, that the covenant that was made with Abraham and his uh, seed of Isaac and Jacob was now passed on to them. Literally, mm-hmm. hence the reason why they thought Jerusalem yeah. was theirs. Exactly. They, that's why this is important. This just doesn't. This doesn't just play out in us having conversations. It has major ramifications of what has happened, uh, literally, uh, during the Church Age, and even today.
0: And it's so important because if we take that perspective and that mindset about the church now um, becoming the recipients of these promises, then God is made a liar in so many passages and so many verses throughout both Old and New Testaments, where He has promised an eternal kingdom. He has promised a land forever to them. Um, and, and, if we don't understand Romans 9, 10, and 11, mm-hmm. and that blindness in part has happened to Israel um, until the fullness of the Gentiles, I think is what he says, um, is complete. Or then, again, what do we do with all those passages Passages where he promises an eternal, a physical uh, kingdom and land and throne and all of that? Like, we just
1: thrown out so much of the Bible. And now you're bringing in those seven New Testament mysteries that are, yeah, that's one of them right there is the future restoration of Israel. So right. it, it has ramifications across the board. If you get this well, thing wrong, now how about that, this? that's going to change.
2: How about this? Okay, Robert, so you just started talking about that land, uh, how God promised it to Israel. And you say, well, okay, so this all sounds great, but at the end of the day, does it really matter? Well, uh, you do understand that right now there's a whole 1.3 billion Muslims who think that lands theirs. Uh, World War Three is most likely going to uh, culminate because of something that has to do with what's going on over the Middle East. That so is the does most it have
1: highly contested area? Does on it the have planet. ramifications? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely
2: does. <laughs> well, so,
0: even in current events at the time of this recording. The uh, the, President Trump uh, has just announced um, the Abraham Accord or Abrahamic Accord, whatever he calls it, where uh, more negotiations and a step forward uh, of peace has been implemented uh, in the Middle East. And as you said, like Jerusalem is becoming a trembling pot as or is it as as Scripture says? And so uh, we are seeing this. We are seeing this in in the flesh. We are seeing this right now.
2: And. and to, tr- to trump that. <laughs> you like how I did that? <laughs> I see what you did. Yeah, you like that? Uh, listen, um, here's the thing you need to, li- you need to understand, okay? If you're listening, listen, there is never going to be peace in the Middle East. There's right. never going to be until the Prince of Peace comes. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you why that's going to be. Because Satan also knows. Mm. He knows the covenants are real. Mm. He, he he's got him. We you know maybe the church has done a good job of messing him up, but he doesn't mess him up. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows who he knows who land that is, and he knows who city that is, and he knows what's going to happen when the Messiah returns and is going to sit in that city just like he said he would on the king of Dav- on the throne of David.
1: And, and then also brings into what you just said earlier about how these covenants definitely have to do with eschatology because that's all prophecy stuff right there.
2: Uh, well, again, that's why I said they, these things have major th- – these aren't just eh yeah. conversations. Yeah, These are major important yeah. conversations to make sure we understand. And so that's why we're going to take the time to really uh, look through uh, each one of these covenants, each one of these dispensations, discuss covenant theology, mm. And, you know, we, yeah, we just rambled for 35 minutes no, this talking is about some important
0: aspects. Foundational.
2: Foundations of why you want to listen to these. And, and listen, you don't have to agree with us. You don't have to like it, whatever. But at least what we're asking is uh, just listen. Listen and hear what we've got to say. And at the end of the day, we have to come to the conclusion that um, uh, 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 either God's word is the
0: uh, authority, stamp
2: of approval, authority on this yeah. subject, yeah, or or some church denomination or your favorite pastor that you listen to on YouTube mm. is, mm. which one is it, mm-hmm. and, and and you know, uh, and by the way, that doesn't even make us the authority. No, what's the authority is what does the God's Word says. Mm-hmm. What does it say, and if we can just get there, um, I think at least we can start to have conversations on what is actually correct and what is not, but I'd be willing to bet that the average person going to church today really probably doesn't even know what we're talking about right now. And yet the importance of it is up here Mm. and, and, you know, we're down here somewhere. It's like, well, you know, you know, Chris, you brought them up, right? Those seven mysteries of God. You know, listen, First Corinthians four, and we've talked about these seven mysteries in our in a, in a, in a, in previous podcasts. First Corinthians four says we're going to be held accountable to them, but I would be willing to bet the average Christian doesn't even know what they are, and if you don't know what they are, and you're going to be held accountable for them, now what? Well, same thing goes with these covenants. These covenants have major theological uh, and eschatological mm-hmm. ramifications. So understanding them is of utmost importance and understanding how they apply to us is of utmost importance so that we don't fall into false uh, teachings and false uh, uh, understandings because like you said, Robert, a little leaven, leaven's a whole bunch and I promise you, uh, with everything I got in me, uh, it will ha- it, it will lead us to a place of a failure to understand uh, uh, some very important biblical things. And and unfortunately, I've seen it where sometimes, if not oftentimes, it'll lead you right to a false understanding of the gospel and mm. salvation. Mm. Which if that's not important, that. if if that's not important, then I don't know what else is.
0: Well, I think a verse that just really puts a bow on what you just said is Hosea chapter four and verse six. God says, "My people are destroyed yeah. for lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge." I will also reject thee. And and so, I mean, listen, we're not saying that you have to know everything. We don't know everything about the Bible. Um, everyone has room to grow. But if, if we are going to, and I say we collectively, may, maybe our listeners, if we're going to take the mindset and the approach of, well, you know, that was important back then, or you know, how does that really apply to me today? Or, you know, that, that's for the pastors or the preachers or whatever. Listen, it, it's how do we know God? We know him by his word. He tells us to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that knowledge, it becomes understanding and wisdom as we apply that and put it on and walk in it. And and he says his people are destroyed simply because they don't know. And why do they not know? Well, he says in Amos chapter 8 that uh, he's going to send a famine, not of bread, not a thirst of water, but of his word. And and, and I think today, uh, practically speaking, uh, devotionally speaking, today we are seeing, in a very real sense, a famine of the word of the Lord. Mm. We are seeing God's people uh, in the New Testament church um, being destroyed for lack of knowledge because either... They're not being taught what they need to be taught from the Word of God, or they are not themselves pulling themselves up by the bootstrap, rightly studying to show themselves approved, rightly dividing the Word of Truth, and seeking to um, sharpen themselves in the Word of God and hide His Word in their hearts that they may not sin against God, being destroyed for lack of knowledge. And by destroyed, uh, that could take many different um, manifestations, uh, but just... the the realms of false doctrine that are being propagated are just innumerable. Mm. It's, it's, it's crazy. So anyways, um, okay. So do we, do we want to lay any more foundation? Uh, do we have any other, maybe anything else important that we want to kind of address before we start going into, um, possibly uh, our first covenant that we want to talk about with our remaining time? Um, what are your guys' thoughts here?
2: Well, so I want to go back to and ask the question once again, um, you know, who were these covenants made with? Okay. Um, because I do think it's important that we understand that. So we established the fact that we, uh, at least f- peripherally right now, uh, believe that they weren't made with uh, uh, the church. Okay. Uh, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. We'll, 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 we'll see as we move forward. But, but um, let's take it a step further and ask, okay, once again, who were these covenants made with? Mm. All right, so clearly, uh, as we've already stated, uh, there there certainly is def- definitively defined, if I can say it that way, <laughs> seven of them. Now, maybe there's more. You know, we can discuss that as we go. But but there's no doubt that uh, we can see uh, seven different uh, covenants uh, that God made with man in the Bible. Um, certainly, the first three. Uh, Were made with Gentiles. Uh, There's no questions asked uh, about that. The question then becomes, though, is: is once God called His covenanted people, uh, which was, of course, the nation of Israel, any remaining covenant after that does God make with Gentiles? That's the question I want to pose.
0: What What is your thoughts after? So let me just rephrase this question. Make sure we're all understanding. After the first three covenants that he clearly makes with Gentiles, after that, are you suggesting we see a, a change in with whom he's making the covenants? Yes, is that what we're yes asking? What we're saying, mm-hmm. where it's it's not the Gentile but it's the Jew.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Gotcha.
2: And and I, I just I'm curious to know right. what your thoughts are on right. that. If you think I'm a nut job or if you think I'm
0: not, Well, I'm yeah, but that's for a whole bunch of stuff. I do things. think <laughs> that, but not in this discussion. That's a yeah. whole separate podcast. <laughs> and if you know our pastor, then you would agree with us. No. No, just kidding. So um so no, Frank. I, I, I definitely um I, I think you're asking that because um you you're trying to prove a point and I would concur with that. I would as well. Yeah, uh, that that uh, it's very clear that that God specifically makes his his covenants in scripture with with Israel.
2: Okay, so now, let's not just say that. No. Let's see if scripture actually provides us any information that would tell us that. So with that being said, I would say let's go to Romans chapter 9.
0: Yeah. So Romans 9, 10, and 11, uh, in, as we're turning there, Romans 9, 10, and 11 uh, being a, a parenthesis um, in the book of Romans uh, where... where uh, Paul carves out some space there under the inspiration of the Spirit of God and um, really kind of uh, emphasizes uh, <clears throat> Israel's role uh, in, in God's unfolding plan. And, and that's where we said earlier, especially in Romans 11, where God is clear that he is not done with Israel, and we see in these chapters how the church is grafted in and, and things like that.
2: So, yeah, no doubt. And, and um, let, me, let, me, let me throw this little tag in there. Uh, because as we move forward uh, in in looking at covenants and things to that matter, there's a very key terminology that's going to be used when God begins to transition from Gentile to Israel, where Israel becomes their His covenanted people, and and that terminology that's going to be used is what happens in the Abrahamic covenant, mm. uh, which is called uh, circumcision. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. There's a difference between the circumcision and the uncircumcision. The circumcision would be the coveted people, Israel. Mm -hmm. The uncircumcision would be the Gentile. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, So with that being said, uh, Chris, can you read for us Romans chapter nine, the first four verses?
1: Okay. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and, here we go, the covenants, and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises.
2: So, clearly, um, uh, Paul uh, is, is referencing the fact that uh, it was uh, to his people, uh, his, his uh, Israelites, uh, uh, his people, the Israelites, that were the covenants were given to. Um, and so obviously, uh, so what we're saying right now has some credence. So we're not just saying mm. this out of, this is what we want to teach. This is the way we want people to see it. No, Romans um,
0: nine four is very clear.
2: Romans nine four is very clear uh, on the subject. And then remember when I said, uh, make sure you understand because because and the reason Abraham uh, and the Abrahamic covenant, which will be the fourth one uh, when we start to go through them, uh, which t- takes place in Genesis twelve. Right. That's when the fourth covenant is made. The Abrahamic covenant is a. Uh, a very, very, very important one, right? I already mm-hmm. we already made that that statement, and when we get there, we, you'll see why this covenant is so very important for a lot of different reasons. It's very important uh, because you're not just talking about the seed, which is Christ coming. You're not just talking about the land, but you're also talking about the circumcision, the uncircumcision, mm-hmm. and you're talking about promises that were unconditionally made to Abraham that have ramifications physically through Israel and spiritually through the Gentile, Mm. which ultimately leads to the church, of course. Okay. So, so, uh, but the physical covenant was made with Abraham Mm. and, and uh, there's a bunch of different places we could go, but let's just for fun, just to kind of see some of these, some of these differences, go, go to Ephesians two. Uh, Ephesians is a, a very important book in the Bible in the aspect that it's Paul's revealing the mystery of the body of Christ. And if you want to understand what the church is and what the ramifications of how someone gets into the church and, and all that stuff, the book of Ephesians is where you start. That's where Paul's explaining all of these, uh, these things. And by the way, that's also where he drops that word, dispensation of grace. Correct. Uh, I believe in Ephesians 3, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. right? So uh, anyways, uh, but look at Ephesians chapter two. Chris, read for us, if you will, verses 11 and 12.
1: Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at the time, that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world.
2: So he makes it very clear there that there is a difference between the uncircumcision and the circumcision. Right. The uncircumcision would be the Gentiles being strangers to the covenants. Mm. See what he says right there?
0: So in other words, outside mm-hmm. of the, re- not recipients.
2: Right. So, so again, I just want to put the stamp of approval on the fact that these covenants were made with Israel. Yeah. They weren't made with the church. They weren't made with Gentiles. No, 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 no. Yes, the first three were. But once God called out his covenanted people, the the direction changed and went directly to Israel. And ev- all the rest of them were given to Israel. That's very important to understand that because if we're going to play that covenant theology card later, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to want to know, oh, well, wait a minute. Because if God made a covenant with the church, then how are we strangers? Wait, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. What What's Paul talking about here? Yeah. Right? So, uh,
0: and I, I want to point out the importance of what we're doing here, uh, not with the emphasis on us, but on the scriptures. Is that I hope our listeners are noticing that we're not going to um, men's documents, we're not going to uh, authors, other authors, we're not going to uh, denominational uh, preferences, we're, we're not going to traditions or creeds or, or any of that stuff. We're letting the Word of God tell us what is and is not. I think that's very important for our listeners to understand uh, because, you know, it's very easy and very common to go to commentators and commentaries and, um, you know, other people that we may trust or love or follow or love their preaching or whatever. Um, but around here, we go to God's word. And if we let God's word be God's word, then he's going to teach us a thing or two. And that's what's happening here. J- just so we're all clear. Yeah
2: last last thing and then we can wrap up this episode. Definitely. Okay, so Romans chapter 2. Uh, let's end up, let's end there. Um because obviously this is a uh, primary chapter where uh, if you're listening right now you're going to go wait a minute though Paul calls us spiritual Jews over there in Romans 2. Come yeah, on now Pastor right. Frank, you I'm know glad. if you're saying that this is the Bible and you're saying why wouldn't you go to Romans? Okay.
0: I'm glad you brought that let's, up.
2: Let's let's go to Romans 2 real quick. And let's put it in context. Let's actually read what it says and see if we can identify. We're going to use those 10 keys of Bible study. And one of those keys was, who was it written to? Okay, if, if we can do that, then maybe we can start to understand what Paul's talking about. Okay, so, so now watch. Um, Romans is, is a very, very uh, important book when it comes to soterology. Another big word,
1: <laughs> right, Chris? What is it? Soteriology, the study of salvation. down. I like the way I say it. It's
2: much more. It's much more elegant.
1: Uh, it's a study of salvation. I talked to the correct pronunciation yeah, in there. Yeah.
2: It's, it, 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 listen, it, it, it's a study of salvation. Yes. So if you want to understand salvation biblically, what righteousness is, what justification is, what sanctification, glorification, all mm-hmm. those things, Romans is your is your place to go. But in the in the midst of all that, Paul's also letting us know. The problem that the Gentile has, the problem that the Jew has, the problem that the whole world has, mm-hmm. then he's wrapping it up and, and telling us, okay, what is the fix to the Jew? What is the fix to the Gentile? And what is the fix to the church? Mm. So he's doing—he's talking to all three people groups in this book on this subject of, go ahead, say it. Soteriology. Okay. Salvation. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it's very important that you understand when you're reading this book that that's what Paul's doing. He, is, he obviously has an affinity for his people, Israel. He obviously has been called to be the apostle to the Gentile. Right. He's obviously the minister of the dispensation of grace. So as he says in 1 Corinthians 10.32, the church, Israel, and the Gentile. There's three different people groups. This is a very, very key uh, uh, understanding that we must grab onto, because although all the Bible written was written for us, it wasn't all written to us. Mm-hmm. And if you steal mail, <laughs> right? So let's say, let's say, let's say Chris comes over to my house, right, and, and and he goes under my bed while he's cleaning. <coughs> Wait, what, what? Uh, right? <laughs> and he goes under my bed while he's cleaning for whatever reason, and he finds a, a, a letter. And let's say my grandfather wrote me this letter. Okay, And in this letter, my grandfather said that when he passed away, uh, he, would, he would be, be, be uh, giving me a, a million dollars. And Chris uh, uh, found the letter on the very day by chance that my grandfather passed away. And he run up to me and he goes, hey, man, look, we got a million dollars. Chris, I got a million dollars. You didn't. Wait, don't, that letter was written to me, not to you. Listen. It's very important. I mean, I know that's a really <laughs> dumb example, but the point I'm trying to make is, hey, when something's written to somebody, it doesn't mean everybody gets what. Yeah, you, you, you gotta, you gotta know who it was written to. Mm-hmm. Okay, and
0: just so we're clear, we're not saying that the Bible does not have relevance, um, or you know, it's only certain places are, are, or certain places are more important than others, or we don't have to uh, obey what it says. Okay, no. But, what we are saying is that God is very clear and specific in in who He's talking to. <clears throat> Again, you just look at the two Testaments alone and you see that there are two very different kind of um, very different things that are going on. So that's very important that we understand that because, um as you said, we, we we could be reading something that wasn't. It's written for us. We could glean from that, just like in Matthew, that was written to the Jews. James, Hebrews, written to the Hebrews. We can glean from those things. We can apply those things um, devotionally or uh, inspirationally. Uh, but there are some doctrinal things in there that that do not apply to the New Testament church. So so just for anyone who's listening who, who may have missed that or you haven't been around as long, um, you just maybe you can kind of grab onto that.
2: Yeah. So, okay, we're in Romans chapter two. Um, so Romans chapter one, real quick, just as a, 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 a quick uh, overview. Uh, basically what Paul does is he just uh, goes through and, and lets everybody know that um, you know, man is guilty. God has revealed His wrath from heaven. Uh, man's guilty, and He lists a whole bunch of stuff of how man has gone away from God, and and has gotten. Uh, I like how Pastor Grace used to say it: is was man's truck back into the jungle. Okay, we get to chapter two now, and now what 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 Paul starts to do is he starts to single out the different people groups. Okay, um, in, in chapter two, the first part of the chapter, he is talking to the Gentiles. Okay, watch. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? He says, therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges. Um, um, and, and he, you know, he says, verse 3, and thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things. Will you escape the judgment of God? Right? Uh, verse 5, but after the hardness and impenitent heart treasure up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath... Uh, verse 6, who will render every man according to his deeds. So, so he's going through, and he's talking about how God's no respecter of persons, verse 11, for as many have sinned without the law shall perish without the law. Many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law, right? For when the Gentiles, verse 14, which have not the law, do by nature the things containing in the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves, right? We show the work of the law written in their hearts, Oh man, I wonder if that has a. I wonder if that's a covenant right there. Uh, yeah, it is. We'll talk about that one later. Uh, bearing witness and their thoughts, to the mean while accusing or also excusing one another, in the day when God shall judge the seekers of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Okay, so the so the first sixteen verses clearly talking to the to to the Gentile, but then look what happens in verse number seventeen. Behold, thou art called a Jew. And rest us in the law, and makest thyself boast of God, and knowest His will, and approve the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. So who who now is he talking to? Jew, A Jew, no doubt about it. Who was the law given to? A Jew. I mean, we can't argue this, right? There's no doubt about it. He, he, he right? And, and he's and he says, uh, um, you know. You commit adultery, you, you know, you tell people don't commit adultery, but then you commit adultery. And look at verse 24, just to make sure if you didn't understand, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. Who would be the you? The Jews. The Jews. Okay. So clearly now he is talking to the Jew. Now look what he gets down to verse number uh, uh, 27. And shall not uncircumcision, oh, Verse 26. Wow, my gosh. Verse 25. (laughs) For circumcision, now who's circumcision? Who was that covenant made with? The Jews. Okay. For circumcision verily profiteth if you keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision. So he's talking about the spiritual and the physical. He's going back and forth between the thing. But who is he talking to?
1: He's talking to the Jews.
2: He's talking to the Jew. This is not a, this part of the letter is not written to Gentiles, okay? And he says there um, in verse 27, And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. So now here comes the big verse, right? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praises is not of men, but of God. Now, just to make absolutely sure, there's no question about it. He was talking to the Jew. Watch how chapter 3 starts. What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. My point is be very careful going to Romans chapter two and stating that we are spiritual Jews. Now, listen, I do think there is some truth in that statement. However, whatever truth there is in that statement has nothing to do with physical truths. It's only spiritual truths. Did did, did y'all just grab what I just said? That's why covenant theology is a scam, that's why it's wrong, because they go to those verses, and they take the promises given to Israel physically, and they think just because they may be a spiritual Jew, whatever that means, and we can discuss that at a later time, because that does mean something, right? But 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 because they don't know what that means, what they've done is, they've taken all those physical promises given to the Jews, and they made them for themselves. Hence, covenant theology now has its parameters, and we obviously have trouble. My point is, is that this piece of scripture right here in Romans chapter 2, going into Rome, clearly written to the Jew. It was not written to the Gentile. It was not written to the church. Do we gain some observation from this? Yes. Are we the uncircumcision that got circumcised in? Yes. Spiritually, no, though, not, not physically. And that doesn't make us, if you will, Jews. Where we get all the promises now? Stop. That's not even what he's talking about. So where did we get that idea? I want to end there because the point is is that you know when it comes to covenants, it's very important you understand the difference between a literal covenant and a spiritual covenant. And although some of the covenants do have uh, uh, some. Uh, 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 bring and graft us into some things. Absolutely. But we never negate and we never take what was given physically to the Jew ever because right. the covenants were made with the Jews and a story done sign, sealed and delivered. Mm-hmm. God's not done with Israel. He never will be done with Israel. He made some promises to Israel that he is going to fulfill. Absolutely. And the church does not or will not get those promises.
1: No, it's important to understand the difference between being grafted in, you know, in the church age, obviously it's it's he even said it, God's no respecter of persons. In the church age, there's that's why there's this particular time is so unique. It's because there's neither Jew nor Gentile where spiritually Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. you know the same because we're born born again through Christ there there are born again Jews and there are of course born again Gentiles right so the church is comprised of both and this is the delineation delineation he's trying to make here is look at, there's something specific for the nation of Israel but in this particular dispensation this particular point in time of uniqueness in time is most unique uh, point in time in history that we get to indwelling of the holy ghost in this church age it's neither jew nor gentile it's everyone mm-hmm. and and that's where what you were saying and what we were just reading is is so vitally important to understand is because that's what people will do they'll take that and read that and be like well wait a minute then we get what the jew no no you're not understanding what he's saying here he's actually making a delineation here right between the jew and the gentile and saying look in this particular period of time uh, neither Jew nor Gentile, but there's something specific for the nation of Israel, right? They were given the oracles of God. They had a particular fulfillment and, and, and that's still yet to come. So,
2: and I know Robert, we're going to close right now. Let me just give you one more thing to think on. This is where this is so important. Eschatologically. Okay. Because if you don't understand the difference, then you don't understand the book of revelation you don't understand what the book of Revelation really is and who the, what's really going on during that tribulation period. And if you think that the, the church has replaced Israel, then you're going to put the church into the tribulation period. So that's why this is important. And if you put the church in the tribulation period, you are wrongly dividing the word, my friend. You have put yourself in a big, big... And the only way you got there, I promise you the only way you can get there is because you took promises that were given to Israel and made them for the church. That's the only way you can get there. You go, well, that's not true. Yes, it is. I am a big studier of prophecy. I love prophecy. And I'm telling you, man, and I'm certainly not the authority on the subject, but I'm telling you, that's the only way you can get the church into the tribulation is you have stolen promises given to Israel and made them the church. I'm done.
0: Yeah, so this is, again, incredibly important for us to discuss and understand. Uh, We hope that this has been a, uh, maybe maybe it's brand new, maybe it kind of helps solidify some things, but uh, we hope this has been a good foundation uh, for our future episodes and discussions as we'll go into some of these or or all of these uh, specific covenants that we find in Scripture. Um, So we're looking forward to hanging out with you next time. Until then, take care. Thank you for listening to The Revealing a podcast ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Senior Pastor Frank Salvaggio, Associate Pastor Robert Engel. For more information about One Baptist Jacks, please go to our website, onebaptistjacks.world, or email us, info at onebaptistjacks.world.